Ladies and gentlemen, first, introducing to my right, this young man stepped on the scales this afternoon at a prime 168 pounds, wearing the all-black trunks with a professional record of 35 wins against only four defeats, 19 of those wins by knockout. Ranked number 19th in the world, ladies and gentlemen, hailing from the great town of Hartford, Connecticut, welcome the Iceman, John Dolan! There he is. <laughs> Showtime. All right, you want to just jump right into it, Ice? Whatever you want to do, let's go. All right. Um. Yeah. Weird. Weird thing today. Uh. We got our, our surprise guest, the uh, the Ice Man, John Scully. Um. We knew him growing up as kids, as as, as our coach. Um. Just as basically an idol, a celebrity, like to us, the the biggest thing ever. And uh, we had the privilege of working with you. You know, many times, seeing you work at professional fights, seeing you on ESPN, all over. You know what I mean? Uh. The biggest and baddest Facebook battles. I mean, you name it. I even got to see you uh, argue with the Israel uh, Israelites when we were in uh, Manhattan that time. I mean, I, I have countless stories, countless stories. But we are honored, honored, honored to have you on. Um, yeah, welcome, Ice. You know, how's everything going? Uh, it's good, man. I just came in from the gym. I uh, I just sparred four rounds with uh, with actually a girl who's fighting. John Callis trains her. Uh, she's okay. fighting the main event on the show Saturday at the uh, Dunkin' Donuts Stadium in Hartford. And uh, so we, she needed some sparring, so I did some rounds with her. And uh, and now I'm home talking to you guys. Nice, nice. No, we, we definitely appreciate it. We uh, we even got Stone on the call, too, just, uh, you know, because he wanted to, to tap in on this and, you know, yeah, definitely. ride the wave. Yeah, um, man. How you been? Yeah, it's just an honor to, uh, you know, be able to talk to you again and uh, just catch up on old times and stuff like that. Yeah, man, I haven't seen you since you were a little kid. Yeah, that's right. I was probably like, what, like 10, 11 years old? Man? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, how, how was Canada, Ice? Good, good. We had a really good camp. Uh, you know, I love Canada. I, I, I love Canada. Um, you know, I've been there so many times. I mean, I was there for for this camp was like eight weeks and uh you know but it was it was great it's always it's always good when you come away with a win after you know so uh right right it was it was good it was good nice and you're just just getting back there uh well i just can't i i you know the fight was a month ago but i just right, uh right. i just went again me and my wife went for like four days i just came back yesterday from uh from canada again nice and and for those that, that don't know um yeah, that, that fight was the one on the 18th, right? Yeah, yeah, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, and that, that was uh, for unification, uh, light heavyweight? Yeah, yeah. Arthur Bedebaev was the guy I helped train, and he's uh, he was IBF and WBC light heavyweight champ, and he fought Joe Smith for Joe's WBO champ. So mm -hmm. the winner came away with three belts, and uh, Dimitri Bavol in beating Canelo has the fourth belt. So we have three, and Bavol has the fourth one. That that's unreal. And this guy, if you guys haven't heard of him, eighteen and zero with eighteen knockouts, which is it, it's it's crazy that more people aren't talking about this guy. Yeah, no, he's a he's a, you know, I've been with him for six years, and he uh, he's a special, <laughs> he's a special fighter. He's a special mentality of a human being. Like he's uh, he's just different. <laughs> like when people say, "Oh, I'm different," what man. would you what would you say that uh, makes him different? Listen, this guy, I can't even explain. You know, I, I'll tell you what, honestly, especially with the climate of the world today, people will, 
people, some people may not even like what I say, but him being a Muslim, he's a devout Muslim. And I truly believe his, his mentality from following Islam as closely as he does. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be willing to bet this man is 37 years old. I'm willing to bet he's never in his life been stepped inside of a nightclub in his entire life. I bet she's never been in one. Uh, he doesn't drink. He doesn't, you know, like he follows the religion closely like you're supposed to. No drugs, no drinking, no partying, you know, none of that. Nothing disrespectful to yourself. And uh, he follows it. And, you know, I was I was coming up to the gym a few weeks ago one day and he was standing out front and I see him like looking at a tree in front of the gym and he's just standing there staring at the tree. And I'm like, man, I wonder what he's looking at. Like, is it a, you know, a dead squirrel in the tree or what is it? <laughs> and I, when I got there and I pulled up and I watched him for a few seconds, I realized it was a certain time of the day he was praying. He prays at a certain time of the day every day. And uh, that's yeah. what he was doing. So I just sat in the car, you know, and waited till he was done. But he, uh, you know, he'll, he follows it like he follows it. And I believe that guides him. And his mentality is so single minded and mm. zoned in and focused like, you know, he's on a mission to destroy. And, you know, it's going to take a lot to stop him. Is that, uh, is that Oh, my bad. Stone, but is that more of a, a pleasure to work with compared to, you know, past fighters that that might have dabbled in other things? Like I know. There's one fighter you had that wouldn't stop drinking, you know, two liter bottles of Coca-Cola, things like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure plenty of other things. I'm sure you've, you've dragged fighters out of nightclubs and oh, bad yeah. situations multiple times. So well, is this, this here's, a, a here's, lot better? Here's what I always say about Arthur Bitterbive, and this is a fact. You could leave Arthur on June 1st and say, listen, Arthur, I'm going out of the country for two months. I'll be back August 1st, and uh, let's see what happens. And you mm -hmm. come back. He will be in better shape and he will weigh less than when you left him. Mm, you do not yeah. need to tell this man anything. You don't need to tell him you got to run. You got to push it. You got to work harder. That's not even a question. Like, like he'll, he'll tell you I'm working harder. I'm running more. I'm, you know, he's uh, you don't have to babysit this man at all. He's a professional through and through a hundred percent. So what would you say to people who say like that him being 37 might be, you know, up for debate? It sounds like it's not an issue at all is what you're kind of telling me. No, man, he's he's I've said this. He's the only fighter I've ever seen in my life who has gotten better in his mid 30s. He's if you look at his career and his fights, he's better now than he was two or three years ago. Like his best last two fights have been phenomenal you know he knocked out marcus brown he knocked out joe smith i mean walk right through these guys and right, uh, right. you know and, and with joe with marcus brown he had the bad cut and uh you know from a headbutt i mean and he didn't mm -hmm. even let it he didn't even mention it in the corner like it never even was an issue and it was a huge cut um i don't know if you saw it but it was right across his forehead i mean it was like 17 stitches and he didn't even let it it didn't even it made him actually that's what made him push the, the gas pedal harder. Uh, he did better after he got cut because he knew he didn't want the referee to stop it. Uh, so his age, like I say, people age because they, I mean, I mean, look, you know, you look at people. I mean, the average person drinks alcohol. They do some sort of drug, something, you know, marijuana, right. whatever it is, you know, 
that that deteriorates you. You know, there's a reason this man is not deteriorating because he's he's he eats only eats what they call halal food, like like pure right. food. You know, so he's you know after the way, and we got to go find a a store in the city we're in that sells halal food. He can only have that kind of food, you know. So this is a man who really pays attention to what he puts in his body, how he treats his body, his mentality. Uh, so age is nothing but a number to this guy. He's gotten better at 36, 35, 37 than, than he was when he was 28. So I know he, he uh, when he beat Brown, that was, was he knocked him out like the ninth round? Yeah. So the thing is, is like, have you ever ran into a situation with this fighter in particular where I know like fighting for you in the past, you know, there's been times you've come to the corner and had to say, you know, motivating things, right? It's like a big, big part of just being a, a trainer and a coach just overall is, is keeping your fighters and keeping your athletes motivated. Um, you have to ever say anything to this guy like to. Um, we, we, I give him instructions and, you know, we motivate him a little bit, but uh, it's, it hasn't been a thing where like, if anything, I'm not, me personally, I'm not trying to really get him too revved up in the corner because mm-hmm. I don't want him to do that necessarily. Like he hasn't really needed to. And, you know, like we need him to stay a little calmer, you know what I mean? Because right. if he goes all out, I mean, it's going to be like nuclear, you know what I mean? And <laughs> and I believe if the, if the situation ever comes where he's in a fight and it's a tight fight and it's going into the 11th round and we have two more rounds to go and, we really need these rounds. I mean, you're going to see something out of this guy. Like he's going to dig down like, like unbelievable fashion. Um, but, uh, you know, his, his whole mentality is to kill you, to get you out of there. So we've never really had to tap into that yet because he, like I said, he doesn't need you to tell him he's already thinking it. That That's unbelievable. I mean, <laughs> you know, what's crazy is, you know, we only have you for a short time. I mean, there's so many things that, that, you know, I would love to, to just deep dive in. I mean, because, you know, we're used to being at the gym with you for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, I've been mean, talking about everything. Um, I know that I definitely wanted to, to talk about uh, this latest fight. Um, quick question. When, when we were at Foxwoods doing the, the filming of Knockout, did, isn't that like the first time you guys met was around then? Me and, and who? And uh, Archer? Uh, no, that was in the Knockout show was in 2015. Right, and I started with Arthur in March of 2016. Okay, because I feel like I, I met a, a Russian fighter around that time when we were oh, there yeah. with like Roy, Roy Jones had a Russian heavyweight with him uh, ah, on okay. the set of the show. Uh, I forget his name, but he was a big guy, uh, like a heavyweight, always smiling. I forget his name, but yeah, he was Roy Jones' fighter. Okay, sweet. Okay, yeah, that was the uh, the same night I beat Sammy Vega in that race up the escalators. I figured I'd drop that in here. Yeah, good job. Okay, okay. You're excellent, <laughs> job. excellent job, Scully. I got a um, question for you. Yeah, how does one man earn the nickname Iceman? Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> what happened when I was in junior high school? I don't know how it was when you guys were in junior high school, but when I was in junior high school, a big thing was making fun of your friend's head. You know, mm-hmm. you say, this guy's got a rock head, an egg head, your big melon head. And, you know, we're making fun of each other. So Albert Graham, who lived up the street from me, and he had a hook head. Hit The back of his head was, like, really round. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, it was, it was large. And uh, so he had a hook head, and I told him that. And he said that I had a square head. And uh, so 
they used to call me, you know, blockhead and squarehead. <laughs> and uh, so they used to say, they used to go to, I have a fight. I actually have the fight on tape. It was November of 1985. And I fought at the Agora Ballroom in Hartford. And they were there and they were yelling, you know, come on, uh, blockhead. Come on, ice block. <laughs> and I had a head like That's a block hilarious. of ice. And so the Iceman nickname evolved from a block of ice. That's crazy. I've heard from probably a dozen people where Iceman came from, and it was never that story. That's the story. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, it always, uh, I've always heard that it comes from the um, the dressing room, bef- you know, pr- before like stepping out and, and, and you know making that walk. And right. you, you talk pretty in depth about that too. Um, what, what's the status? Uh, what's the status with with the book with with everything you know that had been going on in the past? How's everything looking? It's a good chance that the book will never come out. <laughs> I mean, oh, no. I mean, I don't I mean, I'm going to finish it, but just I haven't really put like pressure on myself. I just have I've been, in, you know, I, be honest with you, I, like I'm not like bragging. I mean, I've just been very busy. I, I'm into a lot right. of stuff. And I just uh, and, and I'll tell you, to be honest, like one thing, one aspect of it is uh, the Wi-Fi compared compatible with my computer has been really, really bad. And, uh, you know, when the computer slows up, it kind of like disheartens me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I don't even mm. want to work on this book, this freaking slow computer. Uh, but I recently bought a new computer. And so I'm working on, you know, getting a faster internet service so I can finish it. I'm, 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 I'm be honest with you, I'm, I'm just about done with it. I've been done with it. It's just right. a matter of really editing it now. I mean, if you ever put that book out, I mean, there's the information and the stories in that book are going to be. That's like yeah, yeah. No, stuff I, right I got to admit, I mean, I, I got to admit, like uh, on the outside looking in, I mean, it's going to be good. Like I have some really, really, really good stories, like, you know, about some big, big, you know, Muhammad Ali, Roy Jones. I mean, I have some, right. I have some good stuff. I, I, can, I can say that much. I mean, yeah, we you know we're coming close to the, the time where you got to take off ice, but I mean, yeah, well, I got to, you know, what? give me, give me like, I got a few more minutes. Cause I, uh, yeah, I got like 10 more minutes. Well, 10 more. Let, let me ask you this. Yeah. You know, obviously just boxing everything. What got you into the sport of boxing? Um, well, when I was a kid, my mother and father were divorced. So I used to go stay with my father on the weekends and the thing was, he was older when he when he had me. He was like 43 when I was born. So he was older. And, you know, it wasn't a type of thing where, you know, we would play sports together. You know, he wasn't really that type of guy. So I would just kind of be in the, in the apartment with him. And he'd be reading the paper and watching the news. And I'd be doing kind of my own thing. So I started reading these books he had. And he had three books. Uh, Muhammad Ali's book, Willie Pep's book and uh, Sugar Ray Robinson's book, their autobiography. So I would read these books like every weekend. I would read them over and over and over. And uh, he also had the 1952 uh, uh, edition of the Ring Record book. And in it, you know, it has the records of every fighter in the world at that time. So what I would do is I would wrap my hands in in, uh, toilet paper and I would put tape over them and I would have fights like against myself, you know, on the, on the bed. And I would set a clock for three minutes and I would score the rounds and, and I would write the records. Every time I had a fight, I'd decide if I won or lost and I would write it out just like in the ring record book. That's so awesome. I would compile these records and I would have these fights and I would go in the bathroom after and I would, 
I would do, uh, I would have this, you know, do you ever see the fake Hollywood Halloween blood you put on your face? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would have that and I would, I would <laughs> put it on my face and, you know, I would do the post fight interview into like a hairbrush and I would, <laughs> you know, and I would do the whole thing and, you know, I would do that decision. I would do, you know, announce the decision, split decision, 115, 113. And, uh, you know, I did the whole thing. So my father, you know, he watched me do this for like four years, you know, and, uh, and one day he saw an ad for a gym, which believe it or not, I have the ad, right? It's in my scrapbook. I, ha- I still have really? the ad. And, um, uh, he brought me to the gym in March of 1982. He brought me to the gym for the first time and I basically never left. Been there ever since. That's that, great. That How old were you? Unreal. I was four, I was 14 when I first walked into a gym, but I actually have, you know, I save everything. I have written down, I have my record. When I was 12 years old, I had a boxing league of my own in my town. And it was called the WBC. There's the Windsor Boxing Council, WBC. And That's great. I had nine fights. I was nine and oh, and uh, I fought. Greg Zapansky, Ron Jensen, Stephen Garral. You know, I have all these guys listed. And uh, I was 9-0 and with six knockouts. And uh, and so David Coleman. And, uh, I mean, we fought in the yard. We fought on my back porch. I mean, we fought wherever we could. And uh, so I started boxing on my own. And then my father saw my interest, and he brought me to the gym in 1982. And, and I've been boxing ever since. That, that's unreal. Uh, I mean, I, what, what, um, I mean, we got a lot of people that, that write in, we did a whole episode on, uh, on concussions and things like that. So we get a lot of people that, that will write in and ask for, you know, our thoughts or advice as to if, um, you know, they should have their, their kids go into like a contact sport, whether that's boxing or or football, you know, these, these like highly debated sports now, you know, due to, you know, the more we know about, you know, injuries and brain trauma and things like that. What's your, uh, what's your recommendation to those parents? Well, I would say, to be honest, to be completely honest, in my, you know, I've been in boxing basically 42 years, give or take, right? I've been to hundreds of fights and uh, amateur boxing, believe it or not, and and you guys know, you have experience, but I mean, I have obviously a lot more that I've seen. The injuries are not nearly as prevalent as people would think in amateur boxing. Um, you know, I've, I've very rarely seen like bad injuries in, in amateur boxing. Uh, you know, I think it's a very safe for sometimes to be honest with you, I even think it's a little too safe. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I'll, I'll even tell referees after they stop a fight and I'll be like, come on ref. Like, you know, you can't stop it so quick. Like I understand you're trying to protect these kids, but you know, let them, let them go through a little bit, you know, let them go through some more trauma, <laughs> you know, like, right, right. Them, you know, let them fight for this victory. And, uh, you know, so boxing, you know, I think statistically they've done it year after year, football, basketball, baseball, all the, all the contact, you know, rugby and everything. And I think boxing has consistently been among the safest sports in the, in the whole country. Yeah. I know a lot of the, uh, like the parents and stuff that listen will definitely appreciate, you know, getting, you know, obviously, that advice from someone that, like you said, knows far more about, you know, the sport of boxing than, than, you know, than us. Um, 
I mean, I, I'm scared to, to to take too much of your time. I don't want to deep dive on you. Um, I mean, well, we got no. Give me. I tell you what. I'm at seven forty-seven. We we go to eight o'clock. Okay, sweet. Okay. Um, I got you. So I said we we've got a question for you. This comes up often, right? Um, and this comes up as far as being um, you know, white athletes in an urban area, right? right? So given that you're from Windsor, Hartford area, you know, the whole nine, you know you're weird well i don't want to say you're like us we're like you um you know given that you know we played sports in you know these urban towns and you know being oftentimes one of the the few white kids that are are on the you know on the teams or on you right. know in the gym whatever it is now what do you what do you think about how i guess now you, you know people are grouped so often you know where people are like oh yeah you know it's, it's white guys white males white you know whatever it is and it's like, I, I personally don't feel that way. I feel like the people that I grew up around, that I, I competed in these sports with, things like that. You know, what's your take on the, you know, the divide now that, that keeps consistently happening in the media, you know, that it keeps getting pushed for, basically, where they, where they group everyone together, whether it's, uh, you know, race, religion, you know, right. ethnicity, all that. Like, well, here, what's, your, what's your hot take on that? Here's, here's what, I, what I noticed from being out there. And I saw I – saw... I saw a thing, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, a couple of years ago, and it said something, and it made so much sense. It said something like, if you would just get off the internet for a little while and go out in the real world, you'll see that we're all very much more alike than the internet would have you believe. Well, and, right. and, you know, and I realized, like, I go, you know, I've been going to the inner cities since I was a kid, you know, boxing and coaching and and just you know just everything and uh and i realize people have so many misconceptions about each other uh white kids from suburban areas like like predominantly overwhelmingly white areas have have ideas in their head and kids from really really deep urban areas have their own ideas about what mm. it's like in the other area and I realize they're usually wrong. Like their 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 idea of what it's like and what the people are like are are just off, you know. And I don't know if that's from TV or you know books or you know just their perception. I don't I don't really know. But uh, like I say, if people would get out there more, you'd realize. I mean, some of, I, I've always said like some of the smartest kids, some of the most thoughtful kids, some of the deepest kids. Uh, some of the most loyal kids that I've ever run across have don't look like me and they've come mm. from the projects or, you know, the inner city and Hartford, more, you know, generally speaking, Hartford is where, where I go. Um, so like I said, I, I think, I think there's a lot of misconception. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Like on that, on that end, I had a kid from Avon one time years ago, years ago, and he was a boxing fan and he contacted me on the internet and he wanted to come, or I told him, you know, you, should, you, you want to cover boxing. Why don't you come to the amateur show at the San Juan Center? So he's mm. like, all right, well, you know, could, could you talk to my parents? So I'm talking to the parents, and they're asking me what it's going to be like at the San Juan Center and what should they expect, you know, him to encounter. And talking to them, then the, 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 the mother had me call the father who was on a business trip in, like, Ohio, and talking to them, I realized like they had never been to the inner city. Like they had no idea. And they literally thought it was going to be like going to, 
Iraq. <laughs> like they <laughs> thought it was going to be a war zone. Like they, I think they even asked me like, what are the chances that he gets shot or shot at? <laughs> you know? And I'm what like, no, nah, man, like, no, like, like, a, you know, you watch too much TV. And these are people who at the time were in their forties or fifties, you know, and, and they just, uh, and I just realized like, man, they really, they really think it's, you know, not now granted it's, you know, things happen in the inner city, you know, it just, this the way it is, but you know, they just thought it was like extremely possible, you know, and they can, it was touch and go if he was even going to be allowed to go to this fight. And I'm like, man, you know, people come here every day, you know, without getting shot, right. you know, like it's, it's the shootings, you know, and, and people have to say like, like, I'll give an example. The average American or a white American would think if I say Chicago, you want to go to Chicago? They'd be like, nah, nah, I'm not going to Chicago. All the shootings, you know, I said, listen, man, I've been to Chicago. Chicago is one of the nicest cities I've ever been to in my life. It's the shootings that you hear about are all basically in one area, like one little area, one little neighborhood. They're all condensed to that one area. The, the entire city is actually a beautiful, nice, you know, vibrant city. But people who don't know better, adults who don't know better, they think the whole thing is like, you know, going Iraq. And it's just it's just not. No, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that people need to spend, you know, I think that the social media is such a, it's such a small number, but it's like the loudest voice for whatever reason, because people are so tapped into that, right. you know, and they, they create that ecosystem. Um, but yeah, well, we got you for the last couple of minutes. Is, is it cool if you, uh, you touch on, um, I know for a long time, you've been doing a lot of different fundraisers. Um, I mean, for a number of things, uh, one that always like stood out to me was the, you know, the Benitez one. Um, you want to touch on any, any of the things that you do, um, you know, in that regard? Yeah. Well, basically, uh, you know, especially as I get older and now, you know, I'm at the stage of my career where I'm going to a lot of functions, you know, boxing dinners and, you know, all the old time fighters and things like that. I go to, I do my little reunions and I see these guys and I realize a lot of boxers, even guys who were millionaires do not hold on to their money for different reasons. And a lot mm. of them are physically impaired through the years of tough fights. And, uh, you know, you see a fighter in 1992 and he's a millionaire and you see him on the cover of a boxing magazine. He's got a Lamborghini and everything. And a lot of times in the year 2022, that's not how he's living. You know, he's, He's impaired by the boxing and a lot of these guys, I've seen so many champions who at one time were millionaires and now they have nothing like, you know, it's just a crazy, crazy thing. And there's many different reasons why, but, but the ones who are impaired through boxing and like you could take Gerald McClellan, for example, in 1995, he was hurt in a fight on Showtime. Uh, he was hurt badly. He's never been the same since he's, he's like one step away from being like a, uh, you know, I guess they call it a vegetable. Like he's, he's just there, you know, he's just there. Not to, to yeah. I'm sorry, but it's just funny that you said that. Cause just an hour ago, I was having this, this conversation about that exact fight with Hunter and I was asking wow. him like the, um, just like videos and stuff of that. And I just, how crazy it was. And it's crazy that you say that because I was watching it. And then, you know, they talk about the little things of like him constantly rubbing his eyes and sort of. Right. Well, he kept blinking. He kept yeah. blinking. And, you know, he 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 knew something was wrong, obviously. Uh, and people, 
you know, they should have they should have paid a little more attention. You know, they should have recognized that's not normal when a guy just keeps blinking like that. Uh, but he's he's at the situation now where, you know, I've seen him. I saw him a couple of years ago. There's actually a video on YouTube. It's only like five or six seconds, but it's him and I together. And you can clearly see like he's just there. You know what I mean? And uh, so I raised money for, you know, it's not it's for him, but I mean, it's for his sister. She takes care of him. 24 hours a day so she can't work you know she's got to stay home and watch this guy because he's got to be fed you know he's he can't feed himself you know he can't bathe himself he can't handle himself so you know i I did different things i raise money through auctions and i sell like um signed memorabilia and things like that that i get from friends like if i see roy jones i'll have roy jones sign something for me or i'll have whoever, James Tony or Vinny Pazienza, whoever, and they sign things and then I sell it and, and give the money to guys like Wilfred Benitez and Gerald McClellan and Pritchard Cologne and, and a few other guys. No, and that that's awesome. Um, you know, just not to, to deep dive, I know this is a, is a highly debated thing. I mean, you know, with so many different like uh, overseeing bodies of boxing, do you think that there will ever be a time that comes where – you know, there's something in place similar to like the NFL where, you know, champions of the past or contenders of the past, you know, can potentially get some type of benefit or you think it's it's probably never going to happen? I, I would doubt it. I would doubt yeah. it because, see, boxing is not that kind of sport. See, baseball, football, basketball, soccer, you know, whatever, they all come through programs. Like you come through a little league program and then you play junior high school, then you play for your high school and then you go to college and then – then you get drafted and then you're in a league with all kinds of structure where pro, you know, guys are just turning pro cause they're pretty good and they want to be a pro and there's no, mm. there's no league. It's just them. And uh, so it's the whole structure is so different that uh, it just really, it, it, you know, sad to say, but it just, it just couldn't work. It, it couldn't work. People, you know, it's kind of, our sport is like the wild, wild west kind of, you know, we're kind of, all on our own and everybody's on their own. They have to handle their own money and trust their manager. And, you know, there's no union, anything like that. It's uh, it's kind of a tough, tough spot, but um, right. you know, like I say, yeah. that's why there's, there's people, you know, there's people like me and there's, there's, uh, you know, different organizations. Like I ran Barkley has a, has a group uh, called friends of the champ FOC. Mm. And he does different things. Uh, he started about a, two years ago. And he'll do different things. Like I'd have a dinner every year and try to raise money and things like that. Um, you know, so I think uh, right now, you know, we're just, I'm just going to have to keep doing what I do as far as just helping, helping raise money. But there's, there's a group in New York called ring 10, which I'm, I'm affiliated with. I'm not like an official member, but they've helped out. Um, they get donations. They rely on donations from boxing fans and people like that. And, uh, like, for example, I've had fighters call me and say, I had a guy call me one time, former champion, and he's like, man, they're going to turn my, they're going to turn my heat off. I owe my, I owe a month's rent and I got to pay the heat bill. And so let me see what I can do. And I call Matt Farrego, who's the owner, the man, you know, the CEO of Ring 10 in New York. I told him the situation and literally in five minutes, 
he had arranged to have the rent paid and he paid for the heating bill and, you know, took care of it all. So there are some organizations out there. Iran Barkley has one. Matt Brago has one. I'm kind of doing my thing. Uh, so it's going to, for now, I think it's just going to have to rely on organizations like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just wanted to, I just wanted to say, I just think it was just great. Obviously they have those sort of things. Um, I know we're running short on time, but I just wanted to switch gears real fast. Cause I had one question to ask you that I was real curious about. Um, thinking back to you as a fighter, what would you say your most memorable moment was, you know, within your career? Like what's one thing that you always look back at that, you know, that kind of makes you smile or laugh or proud of. I was just kind of curious as what, what moment do you think that was for you? Uh, I said there was, there was, Two, two for me, two moments that were beyond the ability to really describe. But one was the 1987 National PAL Tournament, the finals. I fought this guy, Curtis Mingo, who had beaten me before. And, and he not only beat me, but, he, but I just remember he hurt me to the body. Like, he really hurt me. Uh, and, I, you know, I struggled to, to make the distance. You know, I made it through. I lost a close fight, but, but he beat me fair and square. But he, but he hurt me, and it always stayed with me. And when I went to this tournament again, I used to think about this guy all the time, like for like two years. I just was like obsessed with this guy. And I went to a tournament, and I, I fought him uh, in the finals. And I never, at that moment, at that point in my life, I had never wanted to beat anyone as bad as I wanted to beat him. Like people say, a lot of people say, I would have, I would have I, I died to win. You know, I would have, I would have died in that ring. And they don't mean that. They are in their heart. They don't mean that. Right. Mm-hmm. But for that fight, I meant it. Like, like I wanted to win that fight and I would have done anything to win. And I, uh, it's a long story, but I, I really won that fight. Like I, I, I stopped him in the second round with one punch and mm-hmm. it was just, uh, I was, I was, I was like the best, probably the best I ever was in my life. In thirty something years of boxing, forty, whatever it is, thirty, forty, that was the best I probably ever was. Uh, was against Curtis Mingo in the finals of the PAL National Tournament in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Um, but the other one was Darren Allen, who was a world champion, uh, and Darren was a guy I really looked up to. Like I used to see him on on TV. ABC Wild World of Sports fighting on USA versus the world. Like USA would fight other countries and they would have a team. And so I knew who he was. And I always knew if, if I, if I ever want to be somebody in the game, I have to beat him. He's the guy. And uh, I went to a tournament a year after I fought Curtis Mingo and it was the same thing. I saw him there at the tournament. I was just so, so zoned in. And, and it's a funny thing because that was 1988, and about two years ago, Darren was on Facebook, and he put up a post, and he didn't tag me in it or anything. I just happened to see it, and he was talking about our fight, and he said, John Scully fought me that night like he would have rather died than lose to me, and I was laughing. I was so happy because because he felt that, and I was like, man, he has no idea how accurate he is. Like, like he's just saying that. But I meant it. Like I, I was ready to go. <laughs> like I, I wanted to win that fight that badly. And uh, and it's cool because about two months, three months ago, I went to an event in Columbus, Ohio. I was brought out there as a as a guest for a boxing event, and he was there. And uh, me and Darren Allen hung out all night. And I actually had a my car, my car had a flat tire, 
in the parking lot of a casino and he came out with me and we sat in the car for like two hours waiting for the uh tow truck to come and we just talked you know and uh, it was it was really cool but he uh those two fights were the the pinnacle of my boxing life was those mm. two fights yeah yeah that's awesome you know it's just like i just like to hear stories like that because you know it's like at the end of the day i kind of look at you know combat sports you look at boxing mixed martial arts football all those type of things at the end of the day it's in a sense it's like a modern day gladiator right? yeah yeah oh for and sure for sure and I love, you know, just hearing that that uh, vision that you had, that locked-in killer instinct that you had going to the fights and, and just hearing about those sort of things. It just shows you what, what sports can bring out of people and, you know, just, just, just you're capable of things that you never thought you can. Oh, before. man. I, I always say I've tried many times to match that feeling that I had in those two fights. Like, I've been in the dressing room before fights years later trying to – go back to that night and just do that. But it, it just, it's hard. You can't, you can't just do it. It has to, it has to happen. It just has mm -hmm. to come out of you. And those two nights were like magic. It just happened. And it was, uh, it was, that was, that was something it's hard to even describe how it happened. But uh, those were the two, you know, biggest nights of my career for sure. Nice. I, um, I honestly, man, I, I can't tell you how much it means, you know, for, to us for you to, to come on. Um, you know, I don't even think that, uh, I don't even think you know how much you, you know, you influenced us and impacted us, um, you know, just by being in the gym and, you know, being our coach and, and things like that. Um, I mean, you, you've brought me on trips to met people that I would have never met, gone to events I would have never gone to, been a part of things I would have never have been a part of and, and giving me advice, you know, whether in the corner or at practices and shit that I, uh, that you know in europe you know when I'm, I'm helping coach over there on the army team and you know things that i was regurgitating things that you told me to you know these other fighters and, right. and echoing in my own head in, in between rounds and right. i i just want to let you know how much we we really appreciate you um just for doing even still what you're doing today you know what i mean so we thank just wanted to, to share that with you and, and awesome, thank you man. for for coming I appreciate on you know that. thank you i really i mean that that motivates me to keep keeping the game you know keep keep doing what i'm doing with other little kids and yeah that's that's awesome i appreciate that no no we we appreciate you is there uh is there anything that you you want to plug guys before you you know you got to head out um well saturday i don't know if, if any of your uh, listeners are in the hartford area saturday at the uh dunkin donut stadium downtown hartford uh i believe it starts at six o'clock or seven o'clock the uh, a big big amateur show willie pep invitational amateur show which is like in its sixth consecutive year and uh really really high level amateur show uh it's going to be a big big event and we've actually got christy martin uh former lady women's champion awesome. she's coming marlon starlin will be there uh jose rivera will be there it's going to be uh you know pito will be there it's going to be a big big event and uh all the proceeds are going to go towards uh usa boxing in connecticut to help keep the kids going on trips and different things like that so uh you know, if anybody's around, I, I highly recommend coming to the show on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, and as far as uh, your social media and all that stuff, I see, you want to throw that out there? Yeah, well, my Facebook is very active, as you know. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's not just boxing. Um, that's uh, Iceman John Scully is one. And then John the Iceman Scully is the other. Uh, the Iceman is one word, John the Iceman Scully. And then on Twitter and Instagram, I think it's uh, – uh, I, I would assume it's Iceman John Scully on, on both of those. And, uh, and I actually have a YouTube channel, which uh, has quite a few 
what I would say is pretty interesting videos on there, uh, uh, which I believe it's Ice John Scully. It's easy to find. Um, okay. But yeah, the Facebook, I think, is my most active, interesting interaction with people. I, I would say that is very <laughs> accurate. Very, very accurate. But but Ice, I mean, honestly, thanks again for everything. And, uh, you know, thanks for coming on. I You know, I know you're super busy guy and, and i appreciate you uh you know taking the time out to uh you know just catch up with us and you know talk about a couple stories we really appreciate it yes sir my man listen thanks for having me you guys and i'm glad to see you guys uh, growing up to be nice young guys man it's, it's cool because i haven't seen you guys in a long time but uh you sound great and uh it looks like you're doing big things so i uh i'm glad the uh i'm glad the boxing had a little part in helping you guys uh become good men absolutely yeah, absolutely thank you Right, Seriously, guys. thanks, Ice, and, and you have a uh, have a great night. And uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be looking out, and um, yeah, we'll definitely. Uh, Hunter and Stone should be local, so if they don't have anything going on, man, they should they should go check that fight out. Oh, That'd for awesome. sure, Callus, you know, Callus will be there. Everybody's gonna be there. It's gonna be awesome. Perfect. Well, hey, thanks again, Ice. We really appreciate it. All right, guys, be good. Yeah, take... All right, take care. All right. Man, honestly, that how how surreal was that? Like, how how unreal is it that we were so young we didn't realize like. You know, you're in the the presence of this fucking you just like boxing legend, historian, Hall of Famer. Like it, it's just crazy, man. Like you know, we we just didn't realize who we were around at the time. I think we knew, but I think that we, I don't know, we just kind of didn't take it in. Like I'm gonna be honest with you, Nick. I used to write reckless shit on Facebook in like middle school, right. and uh, Scully would be commenting on it, getting pissed off at me, telling me to delete it. And at the time, bro, I didn't know, like, I thought this was just a regular boxing coach from the gym. It really right. wasn't until, like, I got out of the, the lines then and I was done with boxing that I realized by looking him up how, like, famous he is amongst the boxing community. It's insane. It's just, it's nuts because, dude, so obviously, excuse me, you know what I mean? Boxing wasn't, you know, wasn't your your main priority, you know what I mean? It's something that, that you did and that you were, you know, successful at UN Stone, but you know, your guys' goals were elsewhere, but it's like I stayed and continued to, you know, to do the grind and, and all that stuff. And it's like, man, the trips that I took, um, I mean, dude, crazy. And I didn't even make all of the trips. You know what I mean? Like, it's just unreal. You know what I mean? You think back and people are like, oh, yeah, you know, Roy Jones this and Floyd Mayweather that and, you know, Shane Mosley and, and you know, all they're running these people down. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've met. You know, I met them, you know, blah, blah. And they're like, do you know this person? I said, well, no is a stretch, but have I, have I been in the presence of these people on like a super personal setting, like not on some like, uh, you know, autograph signing, like as a, as really just like hanging out and, and, you know, just talking normal guy shit and, you know, from roasting each other to everything. And that goes for the same thing with, you know, Bernard Hopkins. I mean, you know, I have a story with Nassim Richardson, not shaking my hand, you know, just like stuff that people don't get to experience. And I experienced it and it's like, I don't know. It, it's dope. You know what I mean? Being in the gym with, with Chad Dawson while this guy's in camp, you know, while, while HBO is there and this dude's training for, you know, Andre Ward and also it's like, whoa, like, damn, like I was there. Like I was in that mix and, you know, holding my own on a, on a daily basis, you know, running and training and sparring and doing all these things. And it's like that experience, you, you can't pay for that. You know what I mean? And it's unreal that we were able to do it and we just didn't understand I guess, like, the, the magnitude of it, you know, when you're in the moment? No, that's for sure. I thought Stone was going to say something, so that's why I paused. No, no, I, no, I was distracted by something. But, no, 
I honestly thought the interview was great. I mean, to be honest with you, I think there should be a part two to it. I kind of want to dive deeper and obviously for some other things and like, you know, get some more time with him. Um, Cause it's like, I'm all, I'm all for like, you know, just kind of just hearing like where a person kind of comes from and what, you know, what uh, created that person into they are now, you know what I'm saying? So I kind of want to dive deeper into that, but I thought overall it was really good, you know, obviously being able to connect with him and all that other sort of stuff, but you're hundred percent right about the fact that, we were surrounded by somebody that we had like no idea who he really was. Like, like you said, we kind of looked at it as, as like, Oh, this is our coach or whatever. And this and that. But like in reality, I mean, you hear the resume, you hear all the other stuff, you hear what he does now, you hear how big of a figure he is in the boxing community. And it's like, we took that for granted in a sense. It's just cause we just, we just didn't know. And we just weren't aware, but that also goes to show you the type of person he is because we didn't know because he's not one of these people who is cocky and going to walk around and like, look at me, poke my chest out at the end of the day. He's just a normal dude like me, you and the rest of the other people who are listening to this podcast. And that just goes to show you again, the type of character he has and what type of person he is where he's just genuine and he's real and he's authentic. And that, I mean, that just goes to show you that as well too, because you'll get these guys who, you know, have been to the big stage like he has and things like that. And then always talking about, oh, you don't know what you're talking about because I did X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. You never once heard that from Scully. And, like, he treated the worst fighter in the gym the same way as he would the best fighter in the gym. And, you know, he's not someone who ever disrespected somebody. And, then again, um, so, yeah, just going off kind of what you said with that. Like, Stone. Stone, think about this. Like, we know dudes who still be bragging about, like, playing high school football and shit. Like, Scully was literally a professional boxer, right? Yeah. We never heard him ever bragging about his career or nothing like that. No, it- and, and let's not even just say so. So, so many people, you know, any Joe off the street that can pass the physical and stuff can become a professional boxer. But we're talking about, you know, somebody who was is a ranked, like well known, you know, fought some of the best of it, of his time. And it's like the thing that's crazy is I, I've been in rooms, right? So like in context, Royal, not to cut you off, Nick, but 38, yeah, yeah, 11, 21 knockouts. Amateur career, right. seven-time Gold Glove uh, titles. Yeah, and, and dude, and not even that. Just you know, the, was the Ohio State Fair. There's a whole bunch of things like you know accolades that just stack. Like, I mean, this dude that, probably yeah. has a, uh, a trophy a house. You know what I mean? Right. And, and what's crazy is like, um, you know, I I was with Roy Hull. We were at uh, at Foxwoods when they were filming Knockout. Right. So you know, Scully invited us to come down and you know, kind of just be in the mix. So you got. Uh, Yoel Judah, you got fucking uh, Shane Mosley, uh, Mayweather Sr., you got um, who else was there? Uh, Roy Jones, uh, you know, I see Mike, Mike was there. I mean, you, you could use Curtis Stevens, you just name off all of these like super huge names, right? That have all been on these like giant stages, giant platforms, and you know, we're all kind of just hanging out and whatever. And the thing is, is like whenever Scully would talk, people would stop talking, and I'm talking about like Floyd Mayweather Sr., I'm talking about Yoel Judah. Shane Mosley, Roy Jones, like he he had something to say, and people just like you know he just like had the um, you know the knowledge and the presence and stuff to just take charge of a room full of like alphas of the sport. You know what I mean? And, and it's like um, you know we we were fortunate, man, to to have um, you know him as one of the coaches and stuff. And it's like I remember in 2013 I was at the Golden Gloves in Meriden, and um, in between I think like round two and three, I'm counter punching. I'm not really. I'm not boxing like like I'm trying to get these points. You know what I mean? I'm boxing like I'm trying to be smooth and slick, and this guy's missing, and I'm, you know, just more of being like the defensive guy, and, and I'm, I'm thinking that I'm good. And it's like 
you know, I'm not going to repeat exactly what he said to me in the, in the corner. Um, you know, cause I'd be kind of paraphrasing, but you know, gave me this like motivational quote that I specifically remember, um, uh, we were in Vilsack in Germany and I had this kid, Andrew Graska in the corner and he's doing very similar to what I was doing in that fight. And I just remember like taking the speech I was given in like, just completely just copy and pasting it into my conversation with this kid in the corner. And it's like, he came out and just, he got it done because it's like, there, there's, I don't know, man, the way that he worded things was just, was just wild. You know, it, obviously it shows, you know, with the, the caliber of coaches, I mean, was it four or five world champions already? It's like, I don't know. I mean, some people just have that thing, man. And it, it, you know, even a guy like that, you know, humble and wants to give back to guys who, you know, have, have gone through it or have, ran into injuries it's like you know it, it's just an honor and stuff to have that that a person like that's phone number that we could reach out to and be like hey you know where you, you want to jump on this podcast me and hunter and no matter how big our our following is it's not you know what i mean his his, his following is larger you know what i mean so it's like you know for him to to take the time and, and jump out you know what i mean talking about a guy who would, uh, breaks down fights on espn and travels the world you know training world champions and he's like you know take the time out for us and you know and, and i think that was really dope i, I think that was that was a, a great interview honestly and please go change that battery in your smoke detector. <laughs> oh, you could hear it? Yes, yeah. I heard it like five times in the episode. Oh, boy. All right, we'll do. So the, I'm, I'm like, that I'm, I'm ear blind to it. Yo, Gimpy told me today, he's like, yo, change that thing. And I'm like, what is it? <laughs> and Because I'm so deaf to it now that it's like, all right, if you're a, a fire alarm, smoke detector, whatever, um, you know, manufacturer, make it a more annoying. Because that beep, like, I don't even realize it anymore. All right. Well, to close the show out, all I'd have to say is on the topic of boxing, if all three of us are fight each other in a boxing ring, I would come out on top on, on both of them. Because we'd but, let you, because if we punch you, you would die. We would feel bad. So We would feel terrible, but you'd make a pretty cool tattoo, so maybe I would suck you in your shit. But that's all I wanted to throw out there. All right. And yeah, to, uh, yeah I apologize for the, uh, all the swearing on here. Um, I should have kept it a little more classy in this, uh, this closing, closing segment. No, but, but uh, both you guys, good ass shit during that episode. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, thank you again to, to uh, John the Iceman Scully for uh, you know putting aside some of his time and um, you know just just giving us a, a great interview. Hopefully, we can do it again. Yes, sir. We out. Later. Peace.